Today, we're talking about after-hours emails, vacation hostility, and why words like timely and emergency might be creating stress or confusion for your team. We're enjoying time with our guest, Maura Neville Thomas, right now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and exclamation point addict, Joe Mall. <laughs> it's true, exclamation point. Wherever you're joining us from and however you're listening, we're glad you're here. If you are new to our show, know that you can get new episodes every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, Google, YouTube, Alexa, and more. In the meantime, please welcome my co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, my friend. Hey, hello. You know, I the grammar stuff, I, I ain't be so good, but <laughs> <laughs> the last time I remember having a very deep and, and delightful and enlightening conversation about <laughs> the Oxford comma, well done. is there um, now something else I need to learn about the exclamation point, please, sir? Oh, well, I mean, from a, a grammarian's perspective, oh, Lord. they are to be used <laughs> quite sparingly. Okay. Um, but I am not capable of not using them have you have you seen that meme that goes around that says like um i end every sentence in my emails in exclamation points because i want you to know that i'm a warm and friendly person and it's really important to me that that comes through in this email that i'm sending you like that is me to a t i i use too many exclamation points in communication i'm not as bad as my mom what's funny is my mom will send text messages and why use one when you can use 13 be like in a row. She'll be like, I'm so excited for what we're doing this weekend. Boom, 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 boom. And oh, I got your card and it was so great. Boom, 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 boom. Like one will do. My my overuse, my addiction is in the general use of them too frequently at the end of too many sentences. My mom, on the other hand, is dropping piles of them. It looks like she's stacked Lincoln logs up at the end of every sentence there. Dumps of them. Yes. Yes. You're not, you don't type a lot with exclamation points, Alyssa? I, I do not, I think I, well, maybe I have a tendency to, to when I am overly familiar with someone, like mm -hmm. if I'm making an email to you, I would probably most likely overuse my exclamation points. Um, in fact, I but think I, like I might have done way. that just yesterday <laughs> to the text to you. Um, I have to go back and look now. Um, what I recently learned, though, from whatever you regarded yourself as grammarians, uh, mm -hmm. some uh, another person who I wholly trust in this area, recently I learned that no more than three, like if you're doing a um, dot, 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 Ellipses. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Three, maximum three. Yes. It's, it's a thing. Yes. It's, it's an like actual specific form of punctuation of three dots. And if you do it in Microsoft Word and you type three periods, you will see it convert to the ellipses, which has different spacing. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like the same rule shall now apply in my usage of exclamations in batches, like no more than three. And and generally we're talking about texts, 
Like, nice. I, I don't think I would use that many in a email. I don't well, think I'm pretty sure that at this point we now have no more than three listeners left to this episode <laughs> because of the, the deep ex- exploration of grammar again. I'm sorry. The deep man. exploration of the exclamation. Exclamation. Yes. All right. Well, why don't we get to the reason that we're here, which is to help our boss heroes with some advice, some humor, and some encouragement. And I'm really excited about a guest that we have for this week. So a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview with a colleague of mine named Maura Neville Thomas. I'm going to tell you about Maura in a minute. But we had this really delightful and I thought very interesting conversation. This was recorded exclusively for subscribers to our Boss Better Leadership Academy. Every month we push out a piece of micro-learning content that uh, helps leaders in our subscriber organizations become better bosses. And we were doing a micro course on how bosses drive better work-life balance for employees, because as we know, we're living in this moment right now where that might be perhaps the most important thing that people are looking for when it comes to finding and and keeping staff. And I'm breaking a rule that I have. Um, The stuff that we do for our Leadership Academy subscribers, we typically keep it exclusively for them because they're paying for it and it's a part of what uh, we put out for them and produce just for them. But this conversation, I thought, just lent itself so well to this podcast uh, that I got Morris permission to share it here as well. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hit play here in a minute, and you're going to get to listen to my conversation with Mara. Uh, we will come back and do the camaraderie question of the week, and then you and I, Alyssa, are going to um, sort of process through a couple of really interesting ideas that, that I think she floats in this conversation. Uh, how's that sound to you? That sounds amazeballs. Thank you. Uh, all right. Here we go with my interview with Mara Neville-Thomas. I'm really excited today that you're going to get to learn from my friend and colleague, Maura Neville Thomas. Maura is an expert in productivity and work-life balance and a pioneer in the concept of attention management, which she calls the new path to productivity. You may have seen Maura's work before in places like TEDx or the Wall Street Journal or one of the many books she's written or contributed to. Or maybe you've seen her columns in Forbes or the Harvard Business Review. So she is an expert, and I'm thrilled that she's with us today. She also tells me that she's great at pretending to exercise. I feel that well, my friend. Uh, and that you much prefer TV shows, movies, and books that have a happy ending. That's, that is very much in my wheelhouse, too. Hi, Maura. Thanks for being here today. It's no wonder we get along so well, Joe. I'm well. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking some time to uh, check in with us around this topic. Obviously, we are uh, nationally experiencing a kind of collective reckoning around how work fits into our lives. Um, And that conversation is focusing perhaps more than ever before on work-life balance. Uh, It is and will continue to be one of the most important factors in employee engagement and retention. So why don't we start here? What role do bosses play in driving better work-life balance for their employees? Yeah. So I have a business review study done by uh, the Energy Project in collaboration with the Harvard Business Review said one of the biggest factors in an employee's work-life balance is the work-life balance of their boss. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many leaders and especially um, small business owners, but also um, just all kinds of leaders that that feel like, well, my, because of my position, I need to, you know, burn the midnight oil and I need to be really dedicated. I need to be really responsive and I need to be there for my team and all great sentiments. But sometimes 
you know, if the boss is a work-life balance, if the boss is a workaholic, then he or she just creates a team of workaholics. And that's probably not the best thing for the team. So this idea of the boss as a role model, it, it cuts both ways, right? Because if I see the boss is a workaholic, then that may recalibrate my internal expectations for how I think they think I should show up. And that can cause problems, right? Yeah, there's there's that. So it's like, well, if you work this way, then you must want me to work this way. Right. But there's also the the driven, ambitious employee who says, well, I guess that's what it takes to be a leader here. And so therefore, if I also want to be a leader, then I need to behave the same way. But the problem is they might burn out before they get promoted to that leadership position. Right. So, so what's the inverse then? What does a strong role model as a boss look like when it comes to work-life balance? Yeah. So um, people will do as you do much more than they will do as you say. And so your actions speak much louder than your words. We're told this all the time, right? So for example, um, one of the most uh, one, the very first article I ever wrote for Harvard Business Review became the most popular article on the site that year. And it still remains pretty popular. I still hear from people about it. And the title is, uh, your late night emails are hurting your team. Ah. And what I heard from, I, I've heard from so many people and I hear from a lot of bosses who, who read it and said, oh, I'm just, thank you. I was so guilty of this. My colleagues are guilty of this. I've sent it to everybody. I didn't even think about it. And then I've heard from employees who say, oh my gosh, you're so right. And I sent it to my boss. <laughs> and <Yes>. so, <laughs> right. So it doesn't matter if you preface the email by saying, you know, don't worry about this or whatever. It doesn't matter. If you're sending emails at 11 o'clock at night, then people are going to think that they need to respond at 11 o'clock at night. And a study out of, um, I can't remember if it was University of Texas or, or uh, University of Virginia that said, or Virginia Tech that said, um, just the expectation that employee is going to receive an email from their boss after hours not only stresses out the employee, but it stresses out the entire family, that anybody who lives in the house right. with the employee. Because in you people can imagine this, right? Maybe it's it's a situation you've been in now as an adult, or maybe when you were a little kid, it was like, oh, we're doing this family thing, right? We're having family dinner, we're going to the zoo or whatever. Oh, unless mom gets the call from work or unless dad gets the call from work. And then it ruins everything. And the kids know it ruins everything. And the spouse knows it ruins everything. And and then the employee is trying to sort of straddle both worlds and be like, no, no, I'll come to the zoo, but I'm just going to sit over here on this bench and talk on the phone at work. And, you know, right. I just got to find this file for somebody. And, you know, and it just disrupts everything. And so it's super yeah. um, disruptive and it's super stressful. And I when I talk to leadership groups a lot. And one of the things I tell them is that I am just always uh sort of surprised at how much leaders underestimate how much mm -hmm. influence they have really on the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you influence employees, people, right? For example, if somebody's unhappy at work, they're probably going to be unhappy at home, right? Mm -hmm. If that, that's going to carry over to their home life, if they're super happy at work, they're probably going to have energy and, and, and right. um, you know, and time to give to their family. If they're not sort of wrung dry by their work day, then they're going to say yes to like coaching little league and then to, you know, yeah. being in the PTA and doing all this stuff. And so, so leaders influence employees, 
And if they influence employees, they influence employees' families. If they influence families, they influence communities. If they influence communities, they influence the world. And I think that we just, I, you know, I think just leaders, I just love it when, when the sort of the light bulb goes off, when I talk about this, because it's not, of course, people know that when people are unhappy at work, that they're unhappy at home, but you forget Oh, yes. And then that makes other people unhappy, too. And And when we can trace that back to even the little things like after hours email communication, which really is is not a big sacrifice to tweak that. Right. We have tools nowadays like scheduling emails to go out later. So if you want to be productive at home, boss, and knock out a couple of things, you don't have to instantly send them to be delivered to people's inbox. You can schedule them so that you avoid the kind of pressure and stress that you're talking about. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And. Yeah, there's so many ways to um, model good behavior, model healthy boundaries and healthy work-life balance. And I think your other point is so well taken, Maura, that even if we give people permission, even if we say, hey, I don't expect you to touch this until you're back in work mode or back in the office, we have to save people from themselves. Because we know we have those people on our teams who will dive in and just, oh, this will only take me a second. And they don't feel the pressure, but they love the feeling of being productive. We get a kind of high from that, right? And so they'll do it anyway. And so restricting ourselves in this way helps us save others from themselves. Is that right? Yeah. And and we, you know, we think they don't, they do want to reply and, oh, it'll only take me a second and I don't mind at all. And I think maybe it's not necessarily that they don't feel the pressure. I think that it's that they don't realize the pressure. I think a lot of times we've become so accustomed to this elevated level of stress, stress and pressure that we don't really even realize it anymore. And so, yeah, even if it, even if every time when I tell people, I mean, here's the truth. No one can give an employee work-life balance. Every employee has to take it. It is up to you to take your own work-life balance and you are responsible for it. And the bosses have to help. The leaders have to make it okay and have to create an environment where people can feel comfortable with that. And both of those things are true. They're not mutually exclusive. Such a great point. And so help us figure out I guess where the line is when, you know, if an employee is trying to set some boundaries because they need to have um, less encroachment of their work on their personal life and they're sitting across from their boss, what kinds of things are reasonable for them to ask for? And what kinds of things are reasonable for bosses to ask for to find that kind of, you know, to use the overused word balance? Yeah. So I think expectations are really important. Very clear expectations are really important. And sometimes leaders um, behave in ways that are contradictory to the ways that they speak. So for example, I totally don't expect you to answer this just because I sent it over the weekend. I definitely didn't mean for you to answer it. But then Monday morning in the meeting, the leader says, Joe, thanks so much for being so responsive over the weekend. I really appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, which is it? You know, or, or did you see my email from Saturday, even though they just got into the office 10 minutes ago? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so expectations of, of work. But again, it's it is important to be clear and we can talk about some of these terms that should be defined. But but it's also important to model. Um, to model healthy behaviors. And so 
you know, leaders have to remember, even if you feel like for yourself, you know, my job requires this and I have to work more and I, I should do this as a leader. If you remember that, that your employees work-life balance is in many ways determined by your work-life balance. So if you don't do it for you, do it for them, you know, have a better work-life balance for them. Well, let's talk about some of those terms because I find this really intriguing. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit as we were getting ready to do this interview. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about how some of that terminology creates that ambiguity that may cause problems for us or for our teams. Yeah. So work-life balance is one of those things that I mm-hmm. definitely think needs to be defined because um, we, you know, we started to migrate towards some of these other words like work-life integration, mm-hmm. work-life integration to me sounds like, isn't it awesome that you can work from your kid's soccer game on your smartphone, right? That, that's what work-life integration, or isn't it great that you can, you know, work from the hotel when you're on vacation? That's what work-life integration sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody, if somebody's using that word, I think it, it really needs to be defined, but even work-life balance, I mean, to me, work-life balance it's not hard. It means don't work too much. That's it. And if you if you want to know what too much is, studies show that our productivity starts to go down after about 50 hours a week. And it really mm-hmm. falls off a cliff after about 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And if you are sitting on the couch watching TV, but also scrolling your work email, that counts. <laughs> that counts towards those yeah. hours, right? Yeah. And so um, we need to think about really how much work are we putting in? And, right. um, and, and so that's, that's a really important, one really important thing to define. Another thing that we need to define um, is a word like timely or responsive when it comes to communication, right? And so we say, you know, I want you to respond in a timely manner, or we need to be responsive in our communication with clients. Well, if you don't define that, what what I think people hear is fast, right? Timely or well, responsive. Right now. Yeah. yeah, it means fast. And if it means fast and you want to be the very best version of fast, that means immediate, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so people translate that into responsive means now. And so if every email requires a now response, or if only customer emails require a now response, but other emails don't, it doesn't matter because now I have to check every email as it arrives still to see, is this one from a customer? Is this one from a customer? Is this one from a customer? Right? And so then we're still constantly distracted all day long. Yes. Those are a couple of, a couple of examples. I can go on and on. Joe, I remember <laughs> you talked to me about the word emergency and how the word uh, emergency gets us in trouble. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we, we always say like, you know, here's, here's the thing, unless of course it's an emergency. Well, a lot of people treat an emergency as I would really like to have this now. (laughs) So therefore it's an emergency, especially if it's the boss, right? The boss is like, well, my work is important work because I'm the boss. And so if I'm asking you for it, now is a good time to respond, right? And so everybody treats, some people define anything from my boss automatically means emergency, right? Automatically means now. And I think some bosses maybe foster that. Other bosses are like, oh my gosh, that's not what I meant at all. And then they don't realize. I just did a talk this morning with a group of leaders and um, one of them was saying, you know, I realize 
I'm the worst offender. I send an email and I don't really need it now. In fact, I might've even said in the email, like, if you can get this to me by Friday, that's fine. But then I leave my office to go get a cup of coffee and I see the guy I just emailed. I'm like, hey, did you get that email? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I don't know. Guilty, absolutely guilty as charged. So, so our behavior is not just what we say, but what we do. Another thing that, that some people consider an emergency is, so I talk about this idea of brain power momentum, right? We need undistracted time so that we can fully muster our, our full range of knowledge and wisdom and skills and abilities, but also compassion and empathy and creativity and kindness, right? It's hard to muster all those things in one minute increments between emails. And so we need this undistracted time where we can fully apply ourselves to, um, to a task, right? Yes. But sometimes people will get that. They will build up that brain power momentum. They'll be right in the middle of something. And then they'll realize, oh, I can't finish this until I ask Joe. And so I've got all this momentum. I need to finish this. I need to know right now, Joe, can you just tell me right now? Because I just, it's really important. And so then that becomes this emergency. That's not an emergency. That is almost the very definition of failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part, right? Mm -hmm. That old saying. And so we really need to, to talk about, and even leaders tell me all the time, like, oh, I don't want to hold up my team. I want to be able to keep things moving. It's like, if you're too available, though, you might be teaching them to rely on you. You might be unintentionally disempowering them instead of letting them figure things out on their own. And if they say, yeah, but I don't want to hold up the work. I'm like, really? There's only one thing on their to-do list today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if they don't get that question answered from you, there's nothing else they could be doing, really? So those kinds of um, those kinds of situations, probably not emergencies, but we look at them as emergencies or as at least as timely. Right. And, And it's it's interesting to me the degree to which we get intoxicated by completion, right? When we, we, we want to finish the project or the document or the email. And so we will encroach on others and ask for right now, if it is in service to us being able to finish this, move it off our plate, cross it off our list. And we end up doing some of the things, the very things that you're talking about. Whereas being a better role model, giving people the time and space they need to get to that work product with better work-life balance may sometimes mean that we need to sacrifice being able to get everything done all at once. We need to sacrifice the allure of that completion. Uh, I think it's such a great point in there about how hard this is sometimes for some bosses to do. Yeah. And it is because, um, because we accomplishment motivates us. I ask mm-hmm. audiences all over the world, what makes a good day at work? And the first thing people say is getting stuff done, yep. getting stuff done makes a good day at work. Right. And then they say other words that mean getting stuff done, right? They say helping customers and, you know, completing projects and, and solving problems. Yeah. Getting stuff done makes a yep. good day at work. So, so you're right. We can't underestimate the importance of that forward progress because it is really important, but I mean, at any given moment, let's face it, everybody's got 17 browser tabs and six emails, half written and, you know, and 17 things on their little sticky note that they're supposed to do today. Right. And so just because one of them might be stalled because perhaps you didn't think about it before you sat down to do it and you didn't realize that you had information missing or whatever. Um, 
there's still other things that you can move forward. Probably. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've only got you for a few more minutes and you mentioned something a moment ago that I want to make sure that I circle back to you on. And this is idea of the way in which work intrudes on vacation time. Uh, obviously time off is more important than ever before. We also know that only about half of the American workforce uses all their vacation time. And you know, the number one pe- reason why people don't use all their vacation time is because they're afraid of falling behind at work. So how do bosses encourage and support employees getting away for real to recharge and get all of the benefits that vacation time give to us. Yes. And this is a, this is a tough nut to crack sometimes. I mean, the first thing is that I think people have to really, really appreciate the benefits that that vacation gives us. And there's, there's all kinds of research, right? A lot of people tell me, oh, but I feel so much better if I just um, you know, spend the first hour of every day of my vacation reading my email, and then I can just, you know, go enjoy myself because I know everything's handled. Well, what if you find out that everything isn't handled? Right. <laughs> and, right. And even if you do find out that everything's handled, you're still, your brain is still sort of chewing on that. You can't get a fresh perspective on something you never step away from. Right. So that's just one of the many benefits of, of vacation time, but studies also show, I mean, it's good for our physical well-being. It's good for our emotional health. It, it even tends there, there are some studies that show that people who take vacation are more likely to get promoted. Mm -hmm. So believing in being fully disconnected is really the first important thing. The boss has to believe it. The employee has to believe it. Everybody has to believe it, but there are then all kinds of other ways. So one is to make sure that everyone has a designated backup so that so that they know so here's a a thing that some large companies do and it's growing in popularity since uh since there was some attention to it years ago and that is the opportunity to have emails deleted while you're on vacation Mm -hmm. so the way that looks is if you send me an email and i'm on vacation you get an auto response that says thank you so much for your message um, in my absence, please feel free to contact Dina on my team. Her email address is da da da. She'll be happy to help you. If this message is specifically for me, please resend it after the tenth when I will be back and I will be happy to answer it. And every and your initial message has been deleted. Yeah, some people are quaking right now at the yes, idea they that are. they're even uh, waiting for them. Yeah, they are. But companies have done it successfully. Yes, right. And even maybe you don't delete it if that makes you really nervous. Maybe you just tell people that it's being deleted, <laughs> or yeah. maybe you just, or maybe you just don't say it's being deleted and you say, please contact so-and-so, or if you really need me, please resend. And then you yeah. create a rule that says any email that came in between this date and this date goes into this folder over here. And then you yes. only look at it if you have to. Right. Right. And, and vacation time where we're spending a little bit of time doing work isn't vacation time, right? It's just a really expensive commute. It, it, it <laughs> And it robs us of the kind of healing that makes us better when we come back. Um, You and I both speak at a lot of conferences and the number of folks who tell us, okay, I've enjoyed the conference, but I have a lot of anxiety around what's waiting for me when I go back to the office because I have 147 emails that I haven't been able to answer. And so then the next time they just don't go to the conference, right? And vacation acts the same way. So aside from email management, are there any other um, beliefs, habits, or routines that we need to see leaders commit to, to be, to make sure they don't become, as you call it, a vacation hostile workplace? 
Yeah. So one way that bosses, I think, create a vacation hostel work environment is that is that they are the boss that says, all right, off to Aruba with the family. Have a great week. I'll see you when I get back. Oh, but the plane lands at 10. So if you need me, just call, call myself. It's fine. Right? It's like, no, no, that doesn't help. That gives the impression right off the bat. And if you are checking in, if you're, you know, if people are getting emails from you, they know that you're, that you're working. So right. there are, I've seen lots of clients um, after I work with them, get really serious about this and, um, and they will, people get in trouble. If, Mm -hmm. if they get caught working when they're away. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's, it's like, we need to talk about, you know, why did, why were you working when you were on vacation and what is that about? And that, you know, we need you to be, we need you to get this downtime. And so um, taking it that seriously is really important. Um, Most people think that, and, and, and in many cases they, you know, in some ways they are. I, I see a lot of companies where people don't have a, a reliable backup. Right. And so if if it's like, if I don't do this, it doesn't get done. And so I don't take my vacation time because I have to work so hard to get ready to be out. And I have to work so long and so hard when I get back to catch up. It's just not even worth it. Or I'll go, but I have to work every day while I'm gone. And right. so- and so that's a structural problem, right? That's a that's an organizational structure problem and yes. that bosses need to solve. Everybody needs to have a trusted backup and vacation time and not working when you're on vacation needs to be taken very seriously. And I'm so glad we're sharing this conversation because I think a lot of the time when we talk about the things that bosses need to do to be more effective, uh, most people are thinking of it through the lens of I'm a frontline or mid-level manager and I'm thinking about the team that I supervise. But so much of this dialogue today, Maura, I think is really important for executive and C-suite level folks to hear and think about because it's their mid-level managers and their frontline managers who are showing up in all the ways that you talk about, who are unable to get away for a vacation because they're the only person who is there to answer questions for the team or to drive processes or handle schedules and whatnot. Uh, And so for the folks who have been listening to this today, please make sure you think about it through that lens as well, not just frontline leaders working with their direct reports and individual contributors, but how do we as executives and senior leaders role model and help our mid-level and frontline leaders show up better with more work-life balance. Maura, thank you so much for being here today. If people want to learn more from you or connect online, what's the best way for them to find you or keep in touch? Thanks for asking. MauraThomas.com is the best place to go. I have a column for Forbes. You can follow me there. Um, also have a whole bunch of articles for HBR. Where My column for Forbes specifically deals a lot with work-life balance, so it's a great place to start. Wonderful. Well, we should hang up and go pretend to exercise or watch a movie with a happy ending. (laughs) Sounds great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Maura. Thanks for being here. All right, Alyssa, I think you can certainly see why I thought that conversation was worth sharing to uh, our boss heroes. And I can't wait uh, to hear about your kind of takeaways and, and highlights from that conversation. But there is something we have to do first. We have a promise to keep. We have to do our camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why here on our show every week, we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Alyssa, I found this question online and 
I just thought it was a really kind of mysterious, interesting question. I have no idea how this would go over on a team. But listen, we're 52 episodes into our run here on Boss Better Now. So any question that might have potential is probably going to make it on the show because, you know, we got to keep the questions coming. Here's the question. What is something you believe but can't prove? (laughs) Okay. So here's the two ways this question could go for me. Okay. And and possibly maybe the teams as well. Uh, you can get the deep, which is like the existential, like a higher power or, you know, something yeah. like that. Right. Or you can get like the wide wacky, which is Oreos are the best food ever invented. I don't care. Okay. It's the truth. Belief or opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, And probably all of those things are true. Although I I wouldn't go that strongly with like the whole Oreos. I'd have to (laughs) really think about a food group or a thing that is like the best, most ideal thing. And you could not prove anything to me otherwise. Um, But yeah, those are the two ways that I go with that question. I don't have a true like answer. If you will, I just have those thoughts. (laughs) I know know your answer to this question. Oh, okay. Okay. Tell me. (laughs) At the foundation of your entire coaching practice and all of the work that you do with leaders is the fundamental belief that clarity around our values is the most important work that a leader can do. And I don't know that you can prove it, but you believe it. Damn straight I do. Jeez, Joe, that was really good. Why didn't you feed me that before? (laughs) Well, I didn't know if you were going to come back and be like, unicorns, Joe. I can't (laughs) prove it. But what I really believe in is unicorns. They're out there. (laughs) The Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) Oh, that was really good. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that for me. I like that for me. All right. So now I gave you your answer. I feel like you should give me my answer because I feel like I didn't have a great answer for this question. I will tell you what my answer was to this question. Um, I had to think about this one for a while. And what I came up with is this, that planning for failure actually prevents it from happening. And mm-hmm. I know like, like on the surface, that sounds like something that most people are like, well, yeah, duh, of course that's true. But not necessarily. Here's what I mean. Here's what I have found. If, if your organization hires me to be the keynote speaker at your big annual leadership meeting or for your conference, and I don't ask for the cell phone number for my primary contact in the event that a flight gets delayed or something happens, that's when I will need it. But by asking for, okay, give me your primary contact cell phone number, and I also need a, a, a backup plan for the rental car. Um, I always make a backup copy of any materials that I am taking, like on a flash drive to a site. And in addition to backing them up on the flash drive, sometimes I'll take two flash drives, and then sometimes I'll put it in a cloud storage so I can access it from any computer anywhere. I believe that if I didn't do those things, those failures would be more likely to happen. Ah, a, Does that a make karmic, sense? Yes, yes, a deep karmic tie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's okay. it's um 
it, 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 if I don't test all the links in the email that we're sending out to everybody, then there will absolutely be a bad link in there. And the yeah. one time when you're like, I'm in a little bit of a hurry and I got to get to this meeting or I have this call and I know I, I know I put the links in right and it's going to be fine. So I'm going to click send. The one time you do it that way, there's a broken link. <laughs> it's just the way the universe works. It may feel that way. I concur. I it, it, it is not unrelated to what I would put forth for you. It, it my, uh, I don't have the exact wording thought process that I would use, but something to do with space and time continuum that there's like an alternative, like <laughs> earth out there because you're really into like space and science. And I feel like, oh, you, I see where you're going. You might have some level of belief and faith in that. Something exists in this, in the t space time continuum. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it, it got very like like <laughs> interdimensional there for a for a minute. But uh, yeah, I, I I do believe that there is absolutely life out there in in See? space. There we go. If every star is a sun, and every sun potentially has planets orbiting it, then. Come on. I mean, the chances of there being another one other planet that can sustain sentient life, it's just that the odds are way too high. So um yes, but I'm I'm gonna come, I'm gonna bring it back down to my ultimate belief, which is that if you put an umbrella in your car, it prevents rain. I actually think that's the <laughs> argument that I've just made. But we live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. Are you planning a meeting, conference, retreat, or event? Why not invite our own Joe Mall to be your keynote speaker? How many people here who supervise have had their time, attention, and energy devoured by someone who is not committed? If yes, say yes. yes. And an amen. See, like I said. Joe teaches leaders how to boss better and cultivate commitment in a way that is funny, captivating, and filled with takeaways. Do you believe that these people are coming to me and telling me that I'm sticking my nose in where it doesn't belong. Oh my gosh, wonderful. Really engaging and thought-provoking, which is really great with lots of good tools to take home. You felt present, like you wanted to lean in. You didn't want to pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook. Whether your event is virtual or in person, your audience doesn't want another boring 60-minute lecture. They deserve to learn and be inspired by a world-class program they simply cannot turn away from. That's what you get guaranteed from Joe Mall. We can all agree we want our employees to care and try, but care and try isn't about competence. It's about commitment. And commitment can't be bought. It can only be earned. Your number one job as a leader is to cultivate commitment. For more information, visit joemall.com forward slash speaking. Well, all right, friends. Uh, I hope you got as much out of that conversation with Mara as as I did and as I know that our, our Leadership Academy subscribers will. Um, and if you have feedback or additional questions you'd like us to tackle, we'd love to hear from you here at the show. You can always email us at bossbetternow at gmail.com, or you can drop a comment in the box below the episode on our Boss Better Now podcast website, or if you're watching uh, on video, streaming this on video. Alyssa, 
Let's just take a few minutes here as we wrap up this episode. I would love to hear what were some of the big highlights or takeaways for you from the conversation that we had with Mara about how bosses drive better work-life balance for employees? I think the direct throughput of how it is absolutely you as the boss that sets the tone Mm -hmm. for work-life balance for your employees and how that directly impacts their families. You know, like for me as as a leader, when I think about, oh, you know, I, well, it's just an email for me, blah, blah, blah. And you can say all of those things that you and Mara both said, mm-hmm. right? Don't answer it or it's not a problem or blah, 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 blah when you get to it. No, actions, actions, actions. It is absolutely your responsibility that if you think about, well, it's just me, it's not just you. Mm-hmm. You are taking away somebody's mommy or daddy from them in those minutes. And whenever I think about it that way, I go, oh, Lordy, no, I ain't going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Powerful line of sight to create, I think, for, for boss heroes. That might be, I think, the most powerful line on the show so far. Yeah. When you do that outside of traditional work time or when people are are expected or understood to be working, you are robbing mommies and daddies from their kiddos, from their families, or if you're the primary caregiver to an elderly parent, you know, or you're robbing people of the very restorative things that are going to make them better for you the next day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I got from so many of the really um, tactical and practical things, uh, and sometimes scary, like the whole email deletion thing. Right, right. <laughs> uh, nail biter. Um, but what I got from that is this, is trying to understand for yourself as the leader, what it is that you're feeling when you do things that align or misalign with work-life balance. Meaning, I can tell you right now, the reason that I send emails late at night or the reason that I do this, right, is because I want to feel needed, right? Mm. I want to tell people, oh, you can just call me on vacation because I want to know that I matter and I belong and people need me and people can't function without me, right? That's about you. And You are creating your own demise. You are not invincible. That added pressure, that continual pressure that Mara talked about, it's always going to be there because you're always pumping yourself full of it. You can exist in this world where your sense of belonging and need is not derived from being available to your work and not making other people believe that that is their worth as well. This is the unhealthy codependency that a lot of bosses create between themselves and their teams. Mora said, uh, you're teaching them to rely on you. And, and yeah. that is what 
in, in some places, maybe we derive our self-worth from that, or maybe it's the only way that that we believe that our our supervisors are going to see that we need to continue to be employed and paid the way that we're paid because this place can't run without me. When the truth mm-hmm. is the best bosses teach their teams how to operate without them. Right. I don't want to teach my direct reports how to rely on me. I want to teach them how to operate without me. I want to be able to walk out for a week's vacation and know that I don't need a backup because everybody on my team there knows exactly what to do and how to do it without me. And in the event that something really out of the ordinary happens, then maybe there is a point person who is a backup and a question answerer or has authority that they can use in those moments. But they're not relying on that backup person to continue directing the day-to-day while yeah. I'm gone. Um, I, I also think, too, Alyssa, that one of the, the really interesting takeaways from that conversation is, you know, we started out by saying that bosses drive work-life balance for their employees. And what I think most people assume, and rightfully so, is that th- how demanding a direct supervisor is will correlate to the quality of the work-life balance that I have. And while that's certainly true— Maura took it a step further. She said, no, 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 it's not just that. It's the boss's boundaries. It's their ability to self-regulate. It's their values around work and communication and all of those things, not just to impact the work-life balance of the employees, but it it affects the whole household. And so this idea of being able to manage ourselves better as leaders, uh, resisting the urge to send that email, to hold fast to our boundaries. I'm so glad we talked about that whole aspect of sending the email at night, but saying, hey, I don't need you to look at this in the morning. Like, if, just don't do it because you're still trying to have your cake and eat it too, right? I still want to go to bed at night knowing, okay, I got that off my plate. It's done. That That question was asked or that information was shared. And I feel the sense of completion and satisfaction that comes from that while also saying, but you don't need to worry about this. And what Maura was was teaching us was that it doesn't work that way. You're still creating the stress. You might as well have just said, I need you to do this now. I know you're at home, but I need you to do it now. Saying I need you to do it now and saying don't worry about this tomorrow has the same impact. It's still a stressor. Yeah. So so many important uh, lessons that we, if we're willing – Mm-hmm. to listen, can learn from uh, that discussion, and very practical, not easy, mm-hmm. can look really scary to not be needed over vacation, but really practical, important strategies to use immediately as a leader. Absolutely. Well, that's our show for this week, friends. Hey, if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, we would like to ask you a small favor. Would you take just 60 seconds right now to leave us a review? Reviews are important to shows like ours. On the screen of the episode you're listening to, just tap the linked show name, Boss Better Now with Joe Mull, and when the show page opens, scroll to the bottom and tap Write a Review. If you've found any of what we do here helpful, know that Alyssa and I both would be truly grateful for your review. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all that you do to take care of so many. We'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today.